Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Matt. And welcome to Going Pear-Shaped on AudioEntropy.com, a podcast where we talk about just kind of whatever we feel like. So hey, Matt. Hey, Mike. I've been super fucking into Puzzle Strike lately. Puzzle Strike's a seriously fucking good game, and that's why you're into it. Yeah, which is weird, because uh, from what I understand, usually the things I like are terrible. Um, well, only if you listen to, like, those other fucking ads, like fucking going off on fucking Sonic Adventure 2 battle. Fuck everyone who thinks SA2B is a bad game, by the way. Drink my fucking piss. Okay. Uh, yeah. Right, I have yeah. very, I have genuinely very strong opinions on SA2B. But that's not what we're here to talk about for it's once. not what we're here to talk about. We'll probably yeah. talk about Sonic at some point, though. I oh, feel definitely, like sure. I feel like it's absolutely inevitable. I, I, feel like, I feel like maybe, I guess, preview of things to come, that's probably a good conversation to have when Sonic Mania comes out. Yeah, I think we almost... So that, that really does actually seem like the flashpoint where we will finally talk about Sonic, because I think we both have very strong opinions on that franchise and that character and everything surrounding them, just yeah. in general. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um... But anyway, so I've been super into Puzzle Strike, and to kind of get into why we kind of need to, we we need to explain some backstory of how we came across it, and to explain that, we need to talk about Yomi, but to talk about Yomi, we need to talk about who David Serlin is, and we gotta do, we just gotta do this whole fucking thing, to get to that, we gotta talk about fighting games, and it's a whole fucking to-do, so why don't you kick us off? All right. Um, well, actually, how about you kick us off? Where do you think we should start? Because do we want to start from the front and work back, or do we just want to start from the back and work front? I say we. Sh- I say we begin at the beginning. I say we begin with him and making his name with the Street Fighter crowd. Okay, David Serlin. David Serlin is an OG member of the fighting game community who eventually has gone. Who has now gone on to start his own development house company i don't actually know where he works if he's like self-employed or something his games are reasonably successful so i'm assuming he, i mean he his game has his game company has his name on it so oh yeah fucking it's, it's fucking called serlin games yeah he's yeah. the head of fucking serlin games yeah so he has a company and he has people working under him um and david serlin david serlin is a person i'm not going to pretend to know personally i'm only going to say what I know about the guy through secondhand sources, which are naturally unreliable, and from the guy's own thing. Given that evidence, this is what I have to say about David Serlin. David Serlin is an obnoxious elitist douchebag, but holy fuck if he does not have the skills and the chops to back it up when it comes to design. That guy is the real deal. Like, he's a tremendously talented game designer, and he's a really damn good, like, fighting game player to boot. I imagine he's probably waned in recent years, probably just because he's probably out of practice and, like, Super Turbo was his go-to game. Um, well, also, just as you get older, your your reflexes get, you know... Yeah, but people like that tend to stay solid forever. I mean, like, Vaya is pushing, I think, 45 at this point. I think that guy's, like, this point, and he's still, like, blasting in, like, top eights at Wednesday Night Fights, like... I, that's actually another discussion for another time, but it's weird how, like, people tend to overestimate the execution barrier in fighting games while simultaneously not overestimating it at all because fighting games are hard. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Dave Serlin, um, who, I, I guess when it comes to Serlin, uh, we'll start with what he, I'm not sure if it's what he started with. Like I said, I don't know the guy's background that well, um, but I do know two games he worked on. I know Super Puzzle Fighter 2 the HD remix of that game, um, which was actually well-received from what I remember. Um, they, it was a remake of Super Puzzle Fighter 2. And then there was his HD remake of Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, which was not as well-received. People did not like that game. Okay. 
Um, I guess to give a very short answer of why people didn't like that game, um, it made some questionable balance changes in its own right. I don't know if those balance changes were actually good or actually bad. It's a kind of an example of a community playing a game for a long time, and by a long time, I mean, like, easily a decade-plus long time, um, and just hating any form of change, which isn't actually necessarily... Which, normally, I kind of poo-poo that, but in this case, like, the game is so fucking old, why bother changing it? Um, that combined with some weirdness with the balance and, like, some weirdness with how he changed things that weren't necessarily related to balance and weren't... It was a weird thing. People didn't like the remake, even though it was, a, I'd say, like, a reasonably quality remake. Um, but it was very strange and it changed the game in some fundamental ways. People didn't like that. That's the short of it. Um, sometime after that, and fuck if I know when, because I'm not keeping the chronology I'll do this shit straight. I'm not going to pay for this job. Um, he goes on to found Serling Games... He makes Pendante, I think was his first game under the Serling Games banner, I think. Um, and then after that, you get Yomi. So Pendante... Now, doesn't... I think before Yomi, I think I think he invented like the what he calls the Fantasy Strike cast of characters. I think it was something called Flash Duel. Yeah, that sounds familiar, but I have no idea what it is. He definitely invented the Fantasy Strike characters and had basically like his own fighting game character, OCs, whatever the hell you want to call them, floating around for a while. Like this was clearly a thing he had conceptualized and like had rattling around in the idea tank for a while before he finally decided to like make a game about it. Yeah, um, but uh, from little I know, because I've watched a little bit, it's Flash Duel is basically a one-on-one kind of fighting game similar simulator it it like conceptually it's very similar to yomi but mechanically it's not it's almost like a reverse tug of war situation on like a it's like two pawns on a single track or something it's a little weird okay i've never played it i've never interacted with it um like i said i'm not going to pretend to be super knowledgeable about this but i do know some stuff pendente was a serlin's kind of weird nightmare chess-esque remake of poker um, it actually looked fairly interesting. I haven't been able to play it myself, um, but it did look interesting. It looked like a fairly fun game. But after by the way, that, you mentioned Nightmare Chess. I fucking love Nightmare Chess. Yes, um, I have not played Nightmare Chess. That game also looks, and I'd also like some time. Yeah, but, uh, the ba- basic gist of it for uh, for anyone listening, because we probably should take the time to explain things. Uh, Nightmare Chess is basically it's a deck of cards, and you and opponent each have some cards. And ba- the basic gist of it is you play chess. But you also play these cards, and these cards do things from, like, letting you take extra turns to making weird shit happen to fundamentally changing the rules of the game. And it's all themed around, like, this sort of, you know, sword and sorcery medieval battle kind of setup. And there's things like, uh, I play this card, and now for the rest of the game, both mine and your pawns both attack and move uh, forward instead of doing anything diagonally. And... There's a move that make, and the thing is, there's also another card that's like, hey, you switch to where you move diagonally and attack forward with your pawns, and then if you play them both, well, now pawns both attack and move diagonally, because they stack, and it gets weird. You can play a card that's like a mudslide, and it's like, hey, every single piece on the board that has an empty space to its left slides over a space. Like, it's just all kinds of weird shit, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's just, it's just hey, what if, what, if, uh, what if chess was fucking bonkers? And it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And I'm trying to... uh, Fuck, what was I talking about? Right, that was Pendante. But the game I really kind of attribute to Serlin is Yomi. Yomi, I guess the best way to describe it is Yomi is a rock-paper-scissors-style card game um, with a very basic battle triangle where attacks beat throws, throws beat defensive actions, guarding and dodging, 
and defensive action speed attacks. Ta- you take that kind of very simple rock, paper, scissors, battle triangle, and you kind of take that to its logical end game extreme with really strong fighting game theming. Yeah. So so basically, there's there's so there's so there's a lot of uh, one of the things with a lot of his games is sort of the asymmetrical gameplay, where again he's created this sort of made up roster of sort of make-believe fighting game characters, like a lot of the characters in his cast uh, that he calls like the Fantasy Strike world, I guess, uh, are obvious analogs to Street Fighter characters, because that's kind of the world he he operates in. And um, Well, that's not true. Some of them are very obvious analogs of Guilty Gear characters as well. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> but mostly mostly it's a Street Fighter pastiche. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, you know, this is it, the thing with Yomi is it's not just purely rock, paper, scissors. The thing that... Your decisions are kind of weighted because depending on what character you are and what character your opponent is, you might be stronger in some areas than others. Like, there are some characters that are very good at defense. There are characters that... And I think it's all these characters kind of, through the mechanics of the card game, simulate styles of play in fighting games. Like, there are rushdown characters. There are grapple characters. There are defensive characters. There are keep-away characters that you only pick if you're a complete asshole. You know, <laughs> stuff like that. The um, best part about you being fucking bitter about Triple B is Triple B, I think, is actually considered the worst character in the game. It's, it's, kind it's of, either Matt, Triple B or, like... I think well, here's, here's the thing with Triple B is is just like in fighting games, he's a keep-away character, which makes him really strong against slow, grappling-based characters. And my main is Rook, who is, <laughs> who is like, the big, slow grapple character in I Yomi. I love how you have a main, and I like yeah. how that's not a ridiculous statement, but it's just so fucking corny where you're like, I mean, Rook, man, you, like, pull out this fucking deck of cards, like, put that shit back. Well, hell, yeah, <laughs> it's 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 good, it's a fun game, and, and, like, I find characters I like. I mean, sometimes I like to play Argagar Garg, which, which is his real name. That's not me speaking nonsense. And uh, and he's a very defensive character that like makes his opponent uh, slowly take damage over time as his like passive. And so your thing is just trying to just kind of outliving your opponent while they slowly bleed to death is the name of the game. Yeah. Um, and I, and it- I also like Lum, who's like he's he's the risk reward gambling character. Like he has a super move where you literally just play blackjack. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like other weird characters as well. Um, there's, like, characters, there's characters like Quince, where Quince's entire thing is he's designed to simulate, like, option selects in fighting games, so he's really, really strong, but he tends to burn, quote-unquote, meter, read also cards, very, very quickly to kind of set up those unwinnable situations for your opponent. Like, the th- one of the real strengths of Yomi, and Yomi's a game with a lot of strengths because it's an incredibly well-designed and well-made game— uh, one of the real strengths of Yomi is that not only are the characters very clearly, like, very clearly and obviously diversified in a way that makes playing against each one, playing with and against each one, very, very different. Um, they're also, like, really clearly modeled after fighting games in, like, really interesting ways. Like, Rook, for instance, he gets a throw card that's very, very slow. And by the way, when I say slow, all attacks in the game... Uh, have speed values on them. So in the instance that both players play an attack card, the faster attack will win. So Rook has a throw that's like very, very slow, but it has a special where unless you're, if your opponent plays an attack and it's a fast attack, Rook's throw will actually beat it, but slow attacks will crush through and destroy it anyway. And this does two things. One, 
it creates an actual, like, really interesting... It creates an interesting decision for your opponent, because against Rook, you want to play slower attacks if you think he's going to throw, because it'll beat this armor throw. But that has the downside of, now you're playing a slow attack, so if Rook attacks you, he's probably going to beat you, and Rook hits like a fucking truck. It also has the second kind of advantage bonus interesting design note that it very closely simulates like armored command grabs in fighting games because one of the ways in some games, not others, one of the ways they balance armored moves like that though are slower attacks like heavy attacks just crush armor entirely. Like that is a mechanic in Killer Instinct, the modern 2013, whatever the hell you want to call it, Killer Instinct. Heavy grounded heavy normals crush armor always and that includes armored command grabs. I don't actually know if KI has... No, KI does have armored grabs because Aganos can chunk up and armor himself, and if he tried, no- normally you'd be, like, thrown, but if you have it, yeah, okay, so technically. Yeah, All right. and and the thing with uh, Yomi kind of simulating fighting game mechanics is, fighting games have, have been something I've d- discussed with you a lot, but only from, like, a conceptual angle, because you're super into the genre, and yes. I'm not, and I like discussing game design, and I like hearing people, you know, who are knowledgeable in the subject that I'm not necessarily knowledgeable in discuss things, like, that's just something I enjoy doing, um... But and so like on a on a theoretical level, like you you heard me get really mad at keepaway characters. Like you explain to me the concept of a keepaway character, you know, I basically get the idea. Okay, it's someone that's like tries to keep as far away from you as possible and throws like ranged weak attacks at you and is just annoying and tries to make sure that you can't catch him. And like on a on a conceptual level, I get that. You know, I I I understood that right away. But it didn't really like materialize in my head until we played Yomi and I was Rook and you were Ball Boss Beta who is that game's keepaway character. And I realized like, Oh my God, this guy's like hitting me for like two damage a turn. Like he's slowly, slowly chipping away at me. Like, and, and like two damage is fucking nothing, especially for a character like Rook, who has a huge health pool, but I can't do anything to him because all of his moves put him in this like state that moves him like out of range of some of my attacks. And like, and it's like, okay, I get this now. I understand why this is so fucking obnoxious. Yeah. So, like, that's another, like, interesting thing about Yomi is kind of how well it does simulate those matchups, because a super slow grapple character like Zangief has, typically has trouble against characters with good zoning options, like, I don't know, like, Yurian, like, Ryu, um, I guess if we're talking about Street Fighter V, we'll keep it, try and keep it topical. Um, that's another kind of, and yeah, the fact that it simulates fighting game shit like that, like, actually, I think, like, the most in, kind of, I guess you want to call involved emulation of fighting game mechanics is, I can't, who's the fucking green, like, black, assa- black cloaked, like, Assassin's Creed looking motherfucker? What is his name? Because it's something oh, fucking stupid. It's something like Noxus or something like L- that. Let me look this up. Okay. Anyway, there's this green looking, black cloaked, Assassin's Creed looking motherfucker in that game. And his entire thing is he can do, he can knock you down. And then he can put you into really difficult to get out of situations. That is an almost 1-1 emulation of something called the Hyo Ball Loop. And the Hyo Ball Loop is a vortex in, like, Super Street, in, uh, uh, Super Turbo, or Street Fighter 2 Super Turbo, whatever the hell you want to call it, where a character named Vega can knock oh, you down. Oh, the dude's name is Vendetta. There it is. I knew it was something fucking stupid. But yeah, ve- fucking Vendetta. Vendetta gets the Hyo Ball Loop. From fucking Street Fighter 2. And, like, I guess that makes sense because, again, one of Serlin's original claims of fame is that he was one of, like, the OG, like, original really, really good, like, American Super Turbo players. But, like, yeah, that game goes deep with, like, weird throwbacks to fighting games. And to be clear, there's no, like, weird wink-wink, nudge-nudge shit. It's the sort of thing you'd only pick up on if you actually, like, paid attention to the game mechanics. 
And I, I don't know, that's kind of gives it, kind of gives it a weird flavor, a weird texture, I guess is how you'd call it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it colors the experience. It colors the experience. It's, it, it uses theme incredibly effectively in a way a lot of games don't. And that's actually kind of, kind of a recurring thing with Serlin. I didn't think the theming in Puzzle Strike was quite as strong, but Yomi's theming is like insanely good. I, I feel like that's more credit to Yomi than like, away from Puzzle Strike. I, I, f- I felt like the theming in Puzzle Strike was really strong and we'll get to it. Although the thing that helped it for me is, well, I've never been super into Super Puzzle Fighter specifically, which is what that game emulates. I have played a lot of competitive puzzle games, specifically Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. And so when I conceptualize it as basically being, it's Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, you know, slash Poyo Poyo, slash Kirby's Avalanche, whatever you want to call it, but a board game, I instantly get how it works. Yeah. Um, but kind of, kind of going back to Yomi, so the reason you and I kind of got into it is there's actually a, a digital version of it on Steam. Uh, it's also on iOS, not on Android, unfortunately, but uh, it's on Steam and we've been playing it digitally. And that's something... Um, I've been thinking about more and more is I really wish more board games had, you know, just good, cheap digital versions yeah. you can play online. And some uh, of them... Because something we, we've done on uh, the Audio Entropy stream, uh, twitch.tv slash video entropy for any folks who are interested in looking into it, uh, we played some Ticket to Ride lately, which is a classic board game, but can be pretty expensive, especially when you want to start getting the alternate boards and the expansions and everything. Because, you know, un- unless, it, unless it's a super, like, common board game, like for kids, like fucking Monopoly or something... Board gaming can be kind of an expensive hobby, but yes. you know, you make a digital version, you don't. There's no cost to like you know having to make all the pieces and everything. So you can put that shit online for cheap, and because it's simulating a board game, like you don't need flashy visual effects or anything. It can be very bare bones, and it still gets yeah, the job done. And it's, it's really looking, good. You're not looking for killer production values in a fucking board game. Um, a couple of things about that. I think more. I think more like publishers are actually starting to do that now. Um, either through their own like proprietary, either like through their own proprietary fucking digital, uh, digital studios, either through like third parties that they license out to, or even through like weird third party mod systems. Like there is official paid DLC for Tabletop Simulator for games like Scythe and like for Race for the Galaxy, and those DLCs are actually really fucking good. Like the Scythe DLC is like five bucks for a game that retails for like a hundred and twenty. And only one person needs to own the DLC, and you can play, like, full games of Scythe. And it even has, like, smart targeting for when you want to, like, place units or, like, place resources on certain things. Like, it's a really good module. And it's, like, five bucks, and boom, there you fucking go. It also makes it perfect for, like, playtesting those games, because, like, if you're buying a board game for $120, you damn well want to make fucking sure that thing is the real deal. And... Paying five bucks to, uh, to fucking confirm or deny actually seems like a good idea in that instance. Yeah. Um. And and that and that's something we'll kind of get into is there's a little bit of uh, a bit of controversy around Puzzle Strike and one of the things surrounding it is it had a second edition and a third edition that fixed some major problems with the first version of that game that came out within the span of about two years. So people who bought like the first version of that game and again I don't know exactly how much it costs but it's a fucking you know again it's a it's a non mainstream board game so that's a niche market it's pretty expensive and they have to they don't really make them in bulk the way they do like monopoly pieces or risk pieces that shit's expensive and you you kind of feel a bit bitter when that shit happens so that that's another advantage to sort of digital gaming but i do i do on the whole wish more games like would come to pc or to people's phones actually there are apparently plenty of them on ios but none of them come to android so i'm just sol yeah same yeah 
But yeah, fucking... But but, uh, uh, but the gist of it is, you and I started playing it uh, on PC. We started playing the Steam version a lot. Uh, we talked some of our friends into joining us. Uh, some other members of the Audio Entropy Network. Zach from TWA. Uh, Luke, who's on like half the shows on the network, including TWA. And then, at some point, our buddy Luke, uh, he gets kind of into Yomi. Uh, but, but the thing is, he's never been a super, like... He's 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 kind of into Street Fighter, I would guess, but he's super 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 into Puzzle Fighter, and so at some point he hears, "Oh, the dudes what made Yomi made a game that's basically Puzzle Fighter," and he gets all over that, and he talks me into trying it, and I fucking love it. Uh, we yeah, talked, and then, you, and then you try and talk me into trying it. I'm like, I already own it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think anyone would be interested. Actually, well, I guess. In hindsight, that was fucking stupid, but at the time, I just assumed nobody would really be into it, since, eh. Well, the thing is, I I didn't really know what it was at the time. Yeah. Um, Because, so, do you have anything else you want to add about Yomi, or should we just move on to Puzzle Strike? Um, I think we can move on to Puzzle Strike. I'll just say with Yomi, Yomi's very, very good. Um, And, yeah, it's just a really good game. I guess my one complaint with Yomi, Yomi, at the end of the day, is kind of simple. Um, actually, there are a couple things I want to add to Yomi. Yomi is kind of actually another game where you can kind of begin to see, like, Serlin's design philosophy, because contrary to, like, what the stereotypical image you'd probably get of the elitist dude making super complicated games, and this applies to Puzzle Strike as well, Serlin's games, by and large, are super crazy accessible. They're very, very easy to understand and play, but there's also a fair amount of depth for to them in relation to how easy they are to pick up and play. Like, the simplicity to depth ratio on those games is actually insane. Because you can teach somebody to play Yomi in, like, shit, probably, like, two minutes. If yeah. even. It's I mean, really again, at, at the end of the day, it's... It f- on a basic surface level, it's rock, paper, scissors. Yeah. But there's just so much other shit going on under the hood that like all the you just sort of learn as you go. Yeah, like, all the characters work super differently, and then there's, like, weird things they can all do that mess with that battle triangle in really interesting ways, and sometimes you need to play more aggressively or play riskier versus certain characters because they'll get out of control late game. Other characters, you just need to kind of hold off the onslaught because they have, like, self-damage abilities. It's really, really just, like, it's really, really well-designed, and it's super interesting. And Puzzle Strike, I feel, is similar in a lot of ways. Puzzle Strike, I feel, is more complicated, though. I feel like Puzzle Strike's yeah. not as easy to get in. Which, admittedly, Yomi, like I said, you can play that game in two fucking minutes. Puzzle Strike, I feel like you need to kind of... It takes probably like five to ten minutes to explain. And whoever you're playing with probably needs like a game or two under their belt before it'll really start to kind of place. Yeah, you need to... It's one of those games where like you need to play a game or two first. Like, just have a like, let's just start playing. You're still learning, so this won't count. I'm probably going to beat you, but that's not a big deal. You know, just give you a chance to figure it out and learn firsthand how this shit works. Yeah, and in fairness, isn't it a puzzle strike? It doesn't feel like a game that's unnecessarily complicated. It feels like a game that is complicated because it needs to be that complicated, not because there's a bunch of arbitrary bullshit in it. Yeah. Um, so, the, so the basic gist of it is that it's a deck-building game, uh, kind of in the genre that was invented by Dominion. Um, and I, and I, do, I do kind of want to clarify, because there is... Near as I can tell, some confusion out there for for people understanding what someone means when they say a deck building, deck building game. game. Yeah, yeah, because they might hear, oh, oh, a game where you build a deck. So you mean like, like Magic, Magic. Or Hearthstone no, or something not like, like Magic, that. not a collectible card game, not even a living card game like something like Netrunner. Netrunner. We're talking where a deck building game is a game where the act of putting a deck together is not something you do prior to the game. 
it is the game. It is something you building a deck in the you essentially build a deck in the middle of a game. You'll start with a limited set of pre-pooled yeah. cards and yeah, as you and you and any other uh, uh you and any of the other players are going to start with frankly a shitty hand of cards or depending on or in in Puzzle Strike's case chips or in some games dice. Um there's uh, shoot what is it called? There's a, a fairly popular sort of I think pool building is the coverall term people use when they started realizing that sometimes it could be something other than cards. But like, there's some games out there that use dice. Um, but like, basically, you and you and your opponent or opponents start out with just really shitty cards, essentially. And there's a bank, a, a communal bank of cards, like in the middle. And you can use your shitty cards to get better cards. And you try and make yourself stronger as time goes on. Hmm. And um, so the 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 idea basically is that. Um, the, 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 the course of the game is to try and get cards that let you do things where, like, either you get more currency to spend to get better cards, or you're trying to get rid of your shitty cards, or you're trying to take your opponent's better cards or give them shitty cards to sort of flood their hand. Uh, the, the thing of it is, is something to understand with this game is when you acquire this better shit, usually it doesn't go right into your hand. Rather, it goes typically into your deck. And... So when you're when you're getting better cards and you're making your deck better, you're not necessarily immediately giving yourself more power or, or better tools. You're giving yourself the opportunity to have better tools. Yeah, and in typical deck building games, you will eventually hit those better tools. It's just that the ramp up in power isn't immediate. Yeah. Um, so I, and but the thing is that's that's kind of a cool feeling because it's on the one hand it's strategic because you have to decide what to buy when what to to try and get. Uh, cards that you think will synergize well, you know, like you, 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 what you think will counter your opponent, like you're really trying to put together a plan. But there's also an element of risk-reward to it because just because you get the card you need, you don't know it's going to end up in your hand when you need it to, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and so there's something that Puzzle Strike does, and and I and I've I played Dominion a long, long time ago, and I like Dominion, but Dominion's kind of a divisive game. Um, and I feel like there are some very legitimate problems with Dominion, and I feel like Puzzle Strike, at least especially in the third edition, the, which is the version the digital version is based on, I feel like there are legitimate problems with Dominion that Puzzle Strike uh, addresses specifically. Uh, one of them is something that we mentioned earlier, and that's theming. Now, like you said, uh, Yomi is probably better at establishing and, and simulating its theme than Puzzle Strike is. Um, but like, so theming is actually pretty important in board gaming, because like... If, if what you're doing in the game is not simulating something, you kind of don't really have a stake in anything. Like, I've mentioned Monopoly a few times because it's really popular, but the thing is it's also really shitty. Like, but I mean, like, you would... The thing you, about you would, Monopoly, I guess... Do you want to explain what the theme of Monopoly is? Because thematically, yeah, Monopoly is yeah. actually excellent, despite being... Yeah, that, that was, that's the thing I was about to say. Despite not being a good game in general, in terms of, like, the gameplay fitting its theme, it's one of the best games ever made because it is a game that simulates brutal, heartless capitalism, and the way to win is to be a brutal, heartless, heartless capitalist. Um, same kind of goes with Risk, which, again, is a, a game that's popular but actually isn't really all that good, but is really, really good at simulating its theme because to play that game, you really have to think like a general. You have to weigh, you know, what are my resources? What are my enemy's resources? What are the risks? What am I going to do if shit goes south? You know, stuff like that. You really have to think about, like... You have to weigh the pros and cons of what you're doing. So in terms of like simulating a theme, it's very good. Dominion kind of doesn't have a theme. I mean, it's like the 
the names of the cards and the pictures on the cards all simulate some kind of vague medieval swords and sorcery kind of thing. Like you got potions and shit and, and the money is copper pieces and there's knights and castles, but like like what are you doing in Dominion? Who are you and what are you doing? I don't I don't know. I've never actually played Dominion, won't lie. Okay, well, I'll I'll just cut to the chase. Even if you had, you wouldn't have an answer. Okay. <laughs> so, but so so that's something that Puzzle Strike addresses. There's another uh one of the other problems that Puzzle Strike uh addresses that's kind of a problem with Dominion. And in fairness to Dominion, there's a lot of expansions to Dominion that apparently in itself address these problems, but, you know, just kind of going from base game to base game here. Uh, with Dominion, there's a problem where there's not a lot of player interaction. Like, for the most part, you're all just kind of playing solitaire at the same time until somebody wins. Uh, in Puzzle Strike, player interaction is all of it. Like, so, so like we said, it, it, it kind of simulates like a puzzle, like a competitive puzzle game, like, again, like Mean Bean Machine, like Puzzle Fighter, Tetris Attack, something like that. Like, you're, you're very much attacking each other. And... To attack each other is just about the only way to... Like, there's a, a, a mechanic in the game where you have a pile of gems, like, just like in a puzzle game. You have your, like, your column that's slowly filling with shit, and by throwing that stuff at your opponent is basically the only way to get rid of it. And if you don't get rid of it, you'll lose. Just flat out. Like, that stuff automatically fills, like, one pip a turn, and if at any point you end your turn and you've got ten of them in there, the game ends. So, if neither you nor opponent are attacking each other, the game just ends at ten turns. So you have to you have to you have to do shit. You have to interact with each other. You have to fight each other. You have to try and sabotage each other, and and that part's really great. Um, one other thing, and again, this is something that specifically the third edition addresses, because in the original version of Puzzle Strike, in the first and second editions, this is also a problem for both Puzzle Strike and Dominion, and it's the the notion of there just being kind of one set strategy that's the best. Because the thing is, like the base version of Dominion is. Not in a literal sense, but in a it is it's essentially a solved game. Like there is an objective best way to play that game. You just you get the money, you get the stuff that gives you victory points, and that's it. Don't bother with anything else. That's Dominion. Puzzle Strike, not as simple. Not as simple. But the the thing with that is there was originally a problem, so there's a there's a chip in Puzzle Strike called Combine. And not to go into too much detail, because we don't really need to go into like all the nitty-gritty of how Puzzle Strike works, but basically combining your shit lets you hit your enemies harder and it lets you clear out your 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 pile of gems faster. And it used to be there was zero downside to using a combined chip. Oh wow, are you fucking serious? Yeah, like there was Ooh. there was that minus dollar sign that's on there now. That originally wasn't there. Oh my god, so you could just cycle them into each other infinitely. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, there was there was no reason not to just play like nine combines and then a, a double crash gem and then just instantly win. Like the, like they called it the uh, I I think I think the players of the game called it the, uh, the like the solo purple or only purple or something like that because because the combined chips and the crash chips, which is how you attack opponents, are all purple. So there was no reason to buy chips that weren't the purple chips. There was no reason. Um, and the thing is, apparently, like if you got into like really really like high levels of play, like there were ways around that, but there was a pain in the ass to do to the point where like, yeah, you might as well just use the solo purple strategy. I mean, why why would you not? Yeah. Um. So that was a problem. Um. But it's but so so it addresses a lot of problems that I I felt like Dominion had. Uh, but another nice thing that Puzzle Strike has over Yomi actually is so Yomi, much like a fighting game, is generally speaking, it's a one on one game. It's one player versus one player. There are ways to play the game so that you're in teams, so that it can be two v one or two v two. But the those sort of cooperative 
like like they add like extra layers to the rules that kind of needlessly complicate things. Like I, I you've I, I were you there when we when we tried that? Uh, I was not. Okay, but like it's it's just there's a thing where, I don't I don't even want to get into it because it's just it's really fucking complicated. Basically, yeah, basically like Yomi Yomi can can theoretically handle up to four people, but playing with more than two is an enormous pain in the ass. Yeah, Puzzle Strike, however, pretty seamlessly scales from two players up to four players. Um, and part of that is you don't even necessarily need to be in teams. You can just it's it can be just a free for all. And one of the interesting things, and this is actually something that again was fixed. Um, it was a problem in the first version of Puzzle Strike, apparently, and was fixed in later versions. Um, so in the first version of that game, what it was is it was an elimination game. So when you died, you were just out, and the rest of the players would keep going, which is a pain in the ass. Like that's just a shitty thing for a game to have. I mean, again, that's a problem with games we've mentioned already, Monopoly and Risk. That's a problem. Someone's out, they just kind of sit there with their thumb up their ass until the other players are done, you know? Um, but in the most uh, up-to-date version of Puzzle Strike, when one person is eliminated, the game just ends, and then the player in the lead wins. But the weird thing that that does, the weird wrinkle that that adds is, let's say you're playing with four people, right? And one person is about to lose. Well, if you're in second or third, you don't want the game to end right now. So it behooves you to intervene on their behalf if you have the means to do so, just to keep the game from ending before you're in the pole position. And I think that's really neat. Yeah, I I have not played Puzzle Strike myself. Um, I know you have gone to bat repeatedly for the game's multiplayer. I actually think the thing, when it comes to things I like about Puzzle Strike over Yomi, and this can actually be viewed as debatably a bad thing. It it's just kind of comes down to personal play preference and experience. I feel like Puzzle Strike is kind of a more replayable game than Yomi. And a large part of that has to do with the fact that because you use randomized chips, cards, whatever the fuck you want to call them, cards, reflect. Yeah, the, yeah, we may as well just call them cards. Because here's the thing, we play the digital version and there's literally no difference with the digital version. Like, it doesn't matter if they're cards or chips. It's a stat. Yeah, yeah mechanically speaking... They are identical to cards that you would shuffle into a random deck. They're chips that you put into, like, a bag and you shake it around and randomize, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but I think Puzzle Strike is a game that really has more replayability than Yomi, and a large part of that has to do with not only the fact that you have the uh, differentiated characters, although the characters are not as well differentiated as they are in Yomi, they are still relatively well differentiated, and because the bank of cards, chips, whatever, in that game is randomized, you constantly have to come up with and improvise new plans around your character's abilities. Because in the beginning of the game, with how that game works, your character's abilities at the start of the game are way more impactful at the start of the game than they are at the end of the game, because at the start of the game, you'll be drawing into their cards more, their their specialized character cards more reliably. Yeah, yeah. basically specialized character cards are like three chips, and I think at the start of a game, you you start with like... Ten, you start... I think you start with like ten or eight cards. You're going, or you're almost certainly drawing one, if not two, of your character chips in your opening. Yeah, deck. your character chips are are a huge percentage of your deck at the start. Yeah, um, and those character abilities are typically quite powerful. And like a big part of that game is, I need to. How can I use these these early character chips to try and establish like a massive lead early on? And like trying to solve that puzzle is really, really interesting and really, really fun. Yeah. That being so, said... Hold on. The, uh, can I... Can, can I yeah, sure, sure. Okay. That being said, it does lead to the problem where because of the randomized bank, you will have instances where one character is at a clear advantage at the start of the game. Now, again, yeah. as the game progresses and characters' differentiations become less meaningful, so you can kind of work around that, but it's not a perfect solution. 
Yeah. Okay. Now, but, but but the thing is, like that that'll only become clear like if you get like super high level, where you have to start like thinking, okay, what characters work with this bank and so on. So so just to be clear, um, in every game there are eight there are eight chips kinds of chips in the bank that are always going to be there. The four currency chips, uh, combined gems, crash gems, double crash gems, and this thing called a wound, which is a shitty chip that does nothing. It just clogs your hand, and it's something you're usually trying to give to your opponent. Um, and then there are ten that are decided from a pool of like 24, I think, uh, maybe more. I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember. I, I think, I think it's 24 in the base game. And then when you have the expansion, I think it's like another 24. Cause so there's like a shitload of them. Um, and the thing is, uh, especially with, there are, there are some presets you can pick. Um, like there's a preset for, that's called first time. That's really good for teaching new people how to play, but you can also just randomly pick 10 and just see how this shit goes. And because of that, there's a great deal of variety. Um, but, and the thing is, like, some of those bank chips synergize well with each other, some of them don't, some of them synergize with certain characters, some of them don't, and it just kind of, you just kind of have to play it by ear, and it's, it's a great, you know, like, here's, I'm picking a character that I like, here's the kind of strategy I want, and then you get this sort of random assortment of things available to you, and, like, you just kind of have to make do with what's available. Yeah, and typically, you won't get, like, and typically, the way it works is you will get some chips that are good for you, and you'll get some, your opponent will get some some chips that are good for them, and it can actually, like, feed, in typical games, you'll get a couple of things that are clearly good for you, a couple of things that'll work well enough, and then a couple of things that probably aren't going to be that handy. And it actually creates, and it can create, and frequently does create an interesting situation where you're buying chips that actually aren't that good for you, not because you want them, but because there's a limited amount of them, and you can deny your opponent those resources. Yeah, and that's actually a great thing that the game has. Um, as as pools of those bank chips start to go empty, the game starts to accelerate. It's like I mentioned at the beginning of uh, our discussion on 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 this, that there's a mechanic where like your your pile of stuff that you know that you lose if it fills, you know, gradually fills automatically as the game goes on. As those pools go away, the amount of stuff you're given at the beginning of a turn increases. And so if you and your opponent are just kind of stalemating for a while, like neither of you are really getting close to losing, as that bank empties, the game's going to accelerate. And one of you is going to eventually die. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's clearly designed as an okay, and it doesn't kick in very quickly. Like you have, there have, we've played plenty of games where it doesn't kick in at all. Um, but it's very clearly designed as a stop fucking dirtling and start playing the goddamn game. Um, also, another thing about Puzzle Strike I think might be a mark against it. Playing this game physically is probably a pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah. I, like I said, we've playing been playing the digital game, version. I could not imagine playing trying to that keep, game. Like, those tiny little like green fucking gems and trying to keep track of all that shit. Ugh. No. Well, the, I, the tiny little gems are actually like you, they, you use just the currency gems to represent that. Oh, I guess. You know, there's like I've actually I've watched video of someone playing the physical version. There's like a play mat. Oh, there is. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, that's better. Yeah, but I imagine playing that game in like physical Here, person. Probably yeah, here's the thing. Play. I love I love board and card games. I love like getting together with people and playing these board games. I will always always prefer playing a digital version. Yeah, because part of that is because like, pretty much all my friends are people I know through the internet. So there's that. I'm biased, admittedly, but also like. I just don't like having to fiddle with all that shit. Um, I like it so that if we get into a weird edge case with the rules, the computer can act as a referee. You know, like I just, there are just so many upsides to just playing the, the digital version of a board game. I, I almost entirely agree. I think there are occasionally games that I think play better in person. Magic the Gathering is actually one of them just because storm and instant speed interactions are just a nightmare to handle with a computer interface just due to how they work. Um, and if you don't know what that is, don't worry. The short of it is... And also, is you can, uh, you can, 
come in with your really expensive deck and show off how big your dick is. Yeah, obviously. Fucking, oh my god, that... I love MTG, man, the buy-in for that game. Fucking ridiculous. But anyway, we're not here. Actually, we will be talking about that at some point in the future. In the very near future. But yeah, fucking Puzzle Strike. Um, really good game. I've got a couple of problems with it. Oh no, but it's the game's it's super yeah. solid. It's a good game. Now, so so far we've talked about uh how he made a card game that simulated a fighting game. And then he made like a deck building game that simulates a puzzle game. He he also made something that simulates an RTS. Um, he made, so, was Codex designed to simulate an R- RTS? Is that what you're Yeah, that's, that's as I understand it. And actually, okay. here's the thing, apparently the dude is super into StarCraft, so, um, part of the, the reason I super, wanted to- Okay, so, let's establish this right now. That yeah. dude is super into anything that facilitates good competitive play. And I mean actual good competitive play, not Hearthstone. I'm not just randomly just burning Hearthstone again because I fucking hate that game. We're actually going to have to talk about that. But yeah. that dude, Serlin, is a person who loves to compete by his own admission, and like- Looking at the way he designs his game, I fucking believe it. Yeah. So one of the things he talked about, he actually had a GDC talk um, earlier this year, less than a month ago as we're recording this. It'll probably be more than a month by the time this goes up. Um, at a GDC 2017, they had a day dedicated to uh, letting board game designers give talks. And he talked specifically about Puzzle Strike. And he said that um, when he made that fix going from the first edition to the third edition that I talked about, where like there wasn't any downside to combining, his sort of brainstorm session that led him to finding that solution was consulting StarCraft. Really? And he, he always looked at that in that triangle of offense versus defense versus economy. And like he, he, cont- he, he thought of the problem in that context. And was like, okay, what's the problem here? And he came to the conclusion that um, because of the way the, the, the combined uh, chip was set up, it was giving you too much offensive power and even some defensive power because, you know, big, uh, having big combined gems also gives you, you know, stuff you can crash his defense and he said but there's there's the reason this is so good is it gives you the best of those two worlds but it doesn't give you any kind of downside in the third you're you're getting a ton of power offensively and you're even getting some power defensively but you're not eating a there's, penalty in that third yeah there's no, oppor- eating- there's no opportunity cost to using it yeah and so he added that minus one dollar and he said that the the reason that he came to that conclusion was he always looked at starcraft and was like he's got to remember like he loves that triangle of offense, defense, economy, and anything that's strong in one area should hurt you somewhere else in one of those three, was his yeah. thing. So so I have actually, I know you haven't played it. I have briefly played Codex with a friend. We messed around and played it casually for a little bit on Tabletop Simulator, kind of just reading through the rules ourselves with no referees. Um, I can, I don't remember the game super well, but I can bring up a couple points. Um, one, I didn't, I thought the theming in that game was kind of weak. Um, I actually didn't care for the theme very much, but two... Well, I mean, you didn't even realize what the theme was. Yeah, so there we fucking go. But two, um, it was really fun. I, cu- I can't... It's hard for me to elaborate on the mechanics specifically, both because it's been a while since I've played and because the game is actually pretty involved. Like, I'd say it is the most involved game of his I've played. That game is actually mechanically, there's a lot going on. But I distinctly remember really liking the diversity of options it gave you. Like, it's a game that provides lots of credible and meaningful options at any point in play. I remember thinking the decks were really well diversified. I remember thinking there was a lot of interaction that happened between players. It was a really solid game, and I liked it a lot. And a lot of the people in, like, the Netrunner community I talked to about it, they really liked that game as well. Um, So, yeah. Codex is one of those games I would get really get into if, A, it had a proper digital client, or B, it wasn't so goddamn expensive. 
because a full like retail box of that game, even like on the lower end, like one of the the poverty boxes of that game, that game's fucking pricey. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, like one of the things I said is, or earlier is that that first problem, the uh, not having a digital version, solving that problem solves the expensive problem. Yes. Because again, since you're not actually having to build it. And like once you, and again, I don't want to downplay how expensive it is to develop a game, even a bare bones one that's just simulating a board game. Like I don't well, want to downplay that. Oh. But like once you've made it, and like yeah, you have to invest in like the servers and everything. But like once you've made that game, you know you, you have to make it's it's made. Okay. You don't have to make more copies of it in a fucking factory. You know? Here's the thing about Serlin's games, though, and this is this actually kind of goes back to like Serlin is a very meticulous designer, almost like against it, which almost kind of like works against him sometimes. One of the ways it works against him is the guy like legitimately, and I'm not just fucking, I'm not bullshitting here. The guy legitimately demands that the games be made with like the best quality fucking materials. So when he was making Yomi. He got, like, the actual fucking, like, official poker card manufacturer. And I'm, this is kind of, maybe, this is a little hearsay, um, but I believe it. And I do actually believe this is true, but I need to check and confirm. I'm not going to do that right now because I'm not being paid to do this shit. Um, but, like, that dude, like, the quality of those cards is, like, up to the standards of, like, the official, like, multi-million dollar poker tournament, like, quality fucking cards that they use on, like, the high stakes, like high stakes Vegas casinos. It's like that fucking crazy. And while that's really cool, that also makes his shit really expensive, like really expensive. Yeah, I think I think Yummy comes much. in like two sets that, and this is something he does a lot. Is and this is something Puzzle Strike does as well. There's this, an expansion that's also as well. That's also yep. yeah. That's also uh, self-contained. But like I think each one of those is like a hundred bucks. Yeah, it's it's incredibly expensive. It's really, really fucking expensive. And it's like, dude, I know you wanted to get, like, the fucking... I can't remember the name of the artist, uh, which bothers me because he's done... He's a very prominent, like, fighting game artist. I can't remember if he was, like, SNK or if he was Capcom. He may have been both at some point or another. Um, but he's like, yeah, I need to get this like these very specific artists to do the card art. I need to get these very specific people to, like, manufacture the... Uh, to manufacture the fucking, like the cards themselves and the components and it's like that shit adds up and there's a reason those games are so fucking expensive and like the obvious counter argument is they're incredibly good components but i i don't know i actually don't they're care not gonna, they're not going to wear down through use as can sometimes happen with a lot of boarding card games like that, that, that's sort of a problem uh it, it's something that's really only a problem if you're someone who's like super into board games and you'll buy these real expensive board games or card games and you'll play them a lot and you'll have a dedicated board game night where you'll get together with friends and you'll play these board games and like if you get something with like really just cheap kind of chintzy pieces like they'll they'll break you know cards will get bent or marked in some yeah, way but there's stuff like will fall apart and it becomes a pain in the ass when it's like well i paid fucking 50 bucks for this and i've played it maybe 10 times and already the pieces are falling apart yeah you know? but there's there's a difference between wanting to make sure to ha- you have quality components and like what serlin does you can get quality components for you're obviously going to have to pay for it, but a game like Scythe has tons of cards. It has like tons of like physical board pieces and everything, but they're really solidly made. They're damn good components, and they're not obscenely ridiculously expensive. They're expensive, but they're not that expensive. They're not unreasonably expensive. And on the one hand, I think it's actually really cool that like Serlin is that fucking meticulous and he's like only the best. But on the other hand, like Jesus fuck, dude, let it go. I don't yeah, know. yeah. Um, but yeah, Codex, I don't have a ton to say about it, but I played, because I didn't play it for very long, 
um, because the only way I had to play it was digitally on Tabletop Simulator, made through a fan module. And credit where it's due, it was actually a reasonably good fan module, but it was kind of a clunky way to play the game, and it wasn't the best, but I had a lot of fun with it when I did, so there you go. Yeah, Tabletop go. Simulator, and, and this is kind of a, 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 an off-tangent, I guess, but my problem with Tabletop Simulator is, because it's also a physics simulator, it can make playing a game more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah, you know, um, it, like he, like, hey, yes, you're you're simulating chess, but oh, oh, your knight fell down and rolled halfway across the board. God damn it! Yeah, you know? like this and, is not something you should have to deal with in the digital realm. And admittedly, some of the better, like the Scythe DLC and the Race for the Galaxy DLC, will actually add like like weird pseudo magnetism on pieces, so that shit doesn't happen. Like a lot of the pay- DLC modules for that do, but most of the fan modules don't because it's a fuck ton of extra rigging work to get that to, to get that done. And admittedly, these are people making these fan modules in their free time and putting them out for free. So I'm not going to sit here and bag on them. But I will say it does make playing it kind of a pain in the ass sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Codex was good. Um, but it's fucking expensive in a client. So yeah, there you go. So yeah, so as, as, as for me, who's playing on a budget and mostly plays on a computer, it may as well not exist. Yeah, exactly. Like it's I am long since past the days where I actually had a group of friends who got together for a board game night. So I just, that's not, that is not within the realm of possibility for me anymore. So, yeah, but before we move on, and this actually feels like the best time to talk about this, one of Serlin's, uh, we've mentioned that Serlin's kind of, Serlin is a very competitive, is a, is, a, is a competitive gamer by his own admission. He likes games where people get in, they can compete immediately, and they can do so, like, and when you compete, you have everything you need to be competitively viable, out of the starting gate. And some people might some people might argue that because he has offers expansions, even though those expansions are all standalone products and they don't synergize at all with like the other pre-built decks that he has, that that doesn't count because inevitably like asymmetry kicks in and blah, 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 blah. We won't get into that because I can take all fucking month of that. Um, but Codex and Yomi, Yomi in particular, I feel like, because I think Codex has some minor deck building, but Yomi in particular are games designed to be competitive out of the box? And I feel that's kind of another characteristic of, like, Serlin, is that, like, Serlin's card games and Serlin's board games kind of stand in opposition to a lot of modern card games, like MTG and Hearthstone in particular. Serlin, <laughs> oh my god, Serlin hates Hearthstone almost as much as I do. Um, that's saying a lot, folks. I yeah. mean, I know, I know we hint at it. Like, listen, listen, ladies and gentlemen, listen. You, 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 haven't, you haven't heard Matt go full on okay. on a Hearthstone rant, and by God, may you never have to. Okay, Just, so when I when I say I can rant about Hearthstone for a full hour straight, easy, a lot of people laugh and assume I'm joking. That's not a fucking joke. I hate no, that it, game that fucking much. It, it, it happened. I saw yeah. it. I was there. Don't tell you, me it didn't happen. I was there. You were there. I'm sorry you had to listen to that fucking bullshit. By the end of that, you sounded like you had survived an actual, like, fucking F3, like, tornado. You were like, oh my god, what the fuck just happened? Why did we let him do that for, like, an hour? I think well, it was I mean, actually It wasn't that bad. Minutes. I mean, like, like I said, I, I enjoy hearing people talk about things that they're knowledgeable about or yeah, passionate but, about, so. Yeah, but that was just, after a certain point, it just gets fucking shrill, though. But, um, but yeah, that's, like, another kind of thing about sort of, oh, he also hates MOBAs. For similar reasons to card games, although I feel that's a little a little unfair to MOBAs because MOBAs, I think, in comparison to collectible card games like Magic the Gathering, Hearthstone, are actually a much better model because the way you obtain what you need in those games is far more straightforward. 
because yeah, but the the basic gist of it is though, like if you have to pay more or grind for the uh, whatever you need to be able to play a game at a competitive level, and we're talking about like, and we we mean competitive, like like at a pro level. If you need to, if you need to earn just the basic mechanical stuff of a game to be able to before you can play at that level, he hates it. And to be yeah. honest, I agree. I'm right yeah. there with him. Yeah, I absolutely agree with him. I think he maybe goes a little overboard because, like, what constitutes necessary can actually be pretty fucking subjective. Um, but I, I totally agree with the underlying sentiment, and I, I absolutely like right there with him. Like fucking collectible card games. And I say this as a person who likes MTG and Duelist. Um, I don't think we've ever talked about Duelist. That's a, quite a good game. That's probably, like, the best free-to-play card game by a fuck country fucking mile, by the way. If you want an actual good free-to-play card game, play, like, Duelist or Shadowverse. Don't play fucking Hearthstone. That shit we'll, fucking we'll, we'll, sucks. We'll put, the, we'll put a pin in that as a future topic. Yeah, we'll put a pin in that one. But, um, fuck, what was I even going to say? I just, like, the fucking, my actual you, genuine... You were, ta- you were talking about how, how Serlin is really his philosophy about being really competitive and how mad he gets at stuff like Hearthstone and, and MOBAs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was there anything else left to say about that though? I feel like I was on, going on a line of thought, but then I just completely lost it. It, it might've been his from. reputation for being kind of a jerk despite yeah. like he's, he's a really good designer, but also he's by all accounts, kind of an asshole. Kind of an, and it's not like a true asshole. He's not like a fucking skinhead or anything or any shit like that. In fact, I don't think I've ever, heard him talk about politics outside of the fact that he apparently doesn't like Donald Trump. That's which I mean, you know, good. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. You know what? Fair enough. But like, that's literally the only thing I've ever heard him say about politics. Um, but like, he's not like a genuinely terrible dude or anything like that. Or don't, don't, don't get this mixed up. But at the same time, he's a fighting game player. He's well, he, you actually say that, but, like, a lot of fighting game players I know are, like, some of the most approachable motherfuckers around. Um, but motherfucker, it really is kind of an elitist my way or the highway. Um, and that has benefits, because, like, the dude really does know what he's talking about. He has made some fucking fantastic games, and he can do so consistently. And he makes games that, contrary to what you might think initially, he makes games that are really, really fucking accessible. Like, his last game that we'll talk about, because it's the last game, it's the one he's working on currently, Fantasy Strike, is a fighting game designed to be really, really accessible. And kind of fill the void that Rising Thunder left. Yeah, so Um, you might as well, you should probably explain very briefly what Rising Thunder was. Rising Thunder was a 2015, is what I'm going to say, fighting game... That never came out of alpha slash beta. It was a fighting game that was specifically designed from the ground up to be very, very accessible. So it had Super Smash Brothers style inputs for special moves. Like each of them were just bound to a button. And it had a very, very low execution requirement. So if you couldn't do quarter circle motions, no problem. Can't do DPs, no problem. No half circles, no 360s. Supers were literally mapped to a single button. It was a game designed to be accessible. And... My thoughts on Rising Thunder were complicated, especially because it no longer exists now and I can't go back for reference. Um, they were more positive than negative. I had some mechanical issues with that game, but those people were acquired by Riot Games, aka the League of Legends devs. The project was canceled shortly after, although they will probably have them or probably have them working on some sort of League of Legends style Rising Thunder accessible fighting game thing afterwards, which will make approximately the entire universe worth of esports money. Um, but there hasn't really been a super low execution fighting game to take its place. The closest there's been, and it's actually moderately close admittedly, 
is Killer Instinct 2013 with the assist mode turned on. And the Killer Instinct 2013 assist mode, unlike a lot of other fighting game assist modes, is actually very, very good because it assists you in ways that are really smart and it allows you to still meaningfully learn the game. Like, it was designed by a, um, Adam Hart, or the Keats as he was known as, who, unsurprisingly, especially given that he's working on a fighting game, was another old school member of the FGC. He was the founder of the fighting game fan site Shore Yukin, been in the scene for fucking ever, now working on Killer Instinct and doing a damn good job of it. And he specifically designed that mode to address the problem that fighting game assist modes typically have, where if you use the fighting game assist mode, you don't learn how to play the game. You learn how to play that fighting game with the assist mode, and once you come off the assist mode, you get fucked. Killer Instinct actually kind of fixes that problem in a bunch of really unique ways that we won't get into because it'll take too much time. But aside from that one, sort of, there hasn't been a low-execution fighting game, and Fantasy Strike is hopefully going to try and fill that void. Um, I haven't actually played Fantasy Strike myself, uh, yeah. so I can't so, so, yeah, so one of the things uh, we kind of get into is that it kind of ties back into what we were talking about with Yomi, about how, like, I can't really get into fighting games because I just don't really have the Twitch skills for it, just flat out. I have I have slow, useless, sausagey fingers that will not allow me to make combos. Um, <laughs> but Yomi basically slows the game down into basically being a turn-based game, and so, you know, I can I can play it, you know, in incredibly slow motion yeah. via these fucking cards. No, admittedly, so, Puzzle Strike is kind of looking to do something along those lines. Not Puzzle Strike, uh, Fantasy Strike. Fantasy Strike. You fantasy That's what happens strike. when you give all your shit similar names. Yeah, fucking. Although I guess it's not like the it's not the worst that I've seen. But yeah, Fantasy Strike, admittedly, is definitely going to be way more of a conventional fighting game than like Yomi or than like Yomi or Puzzle Strike. But it's definite. It's absolutely aiming for a much lower execution curve, and I'm really interested. So, I don't know how Fantasy Strike is doing financially. Unfortunately, my knee-jerk reaction is probably not great, which is a huge bummer to me, because the game, I again, we love Serlin's work. Fucking, I want that game to succeed, because I want a low-execution fighting game I can play with my friends. That's not fucking Smash Brothers. Um, oh god, did I just call Smash Brothers a fighting game? Well, it is, I'm pl- kind of. I mean, well, hold on, hold on, you're the guy that's always trying to defend the Smash community to me. I'm the guy who's all like, yeah, man, it's a fucking what? fighting game. No, no. Four-player free-for-all, random just, stage, all wait, items wait, wait, on, wait, let's wait, go. Wait, 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 did you just say I defend the Smash community? Yeah. No, 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 I don't. No, fuck those people. Fuck the Smash community. It's a fucking trash fire. What? Fuck. No, we've definitely had these discussions, and you've been the one that's I like, no, that's not. No, I'll defend Smash, the right to call Smash a fighting game. I will not defend the Smash community. The Smash community is fucking garbage. Fuck that community. That community is trash. Absolute fucking trash. One of the worst fucking communities I've ever had the displeasure of ever having to. We'll move on from that because I'm very okay. resentful about the Smash community. I don't like the people like that game. <laughs> like at I just, best- I just like it as a, I, li- I like it as a party game. You know, admittedly, uh, I haven't played it past uh past the Wii version, so I, know, I don't know what Smash Four is really like, but. Um, you know, I, I like I like playing it with with family, four players. Yeah. You know, random stage, all items on. You know. Yeah. But yeah, um, Fantasy Strike. I I hope that game succeeds. It's not looking great, but I hope that game succeeds, and I hope it's good. But fuck, when you do. All right. But yeah, um, I think that is that it. I yeah, I, I think so. Unless you have anything else you want to add along these lines. Um, anything about board games or card games in general? I mean, it's not like we'll never touch on the subject again, but... Yeah, we'll probably talk about it. I can't think of anything. I think I think we're good. I think we can move on to questions. Okay, well, let's, um, let's do it then. So, 
this one is from Jules, a uh, friend of the show, member of the network, Jules. Uh, if you could create a visual novel dating sim using any fighting game cast of characters, which cast would you pick? And let, let, let me preface this by saying that for a moment there, I was shocked that Jules did not just send us a question asking us which fighting game cast we'd want to fuck. Yeah. But she did it in a roundabout way is the thing. Yeah. I have to think on this. It's not Street Fighter. It's not KI. Mm. I don't think. It's not... Marvel, I feel, is kind of cheating. Kind of, yeah. Skullgirls and Blaze Blue are already dating sims. Skullgirls isn't. Actually, eh, It kind of... Actually, oh, you know what it is? Yeah, it's probably Skullgirls. Okay. It's probably Skullgirls. All right. I have an obvious answer and a niche answer. Uh, Obvious, easy answer, Mortal Kombat. Okay. Yeah. Um, Niche answer, Power Stone. Ooh, that's not bad, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I respect that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm going simple. I'm going to, I'm going the game that has fuck tons of titty in it already, all girls. Okay, easy. yeah. Um, all right, so uh, next question. This one's from uh, Lucas uh, of the D-Comedy Podcast. It says, if there were an audio entropy fighting game where the hosts of all the shows are the characters, how would you guys play and what would be your ultimates? And it says, in quotes, feel free to guess for other hosts as well. So so I guess, I guess we had to figure out ourselves first. Okay. Um, you obviously turtle like a motherfucker. Yeah, I, I turtle like a motherfucker. I'm a, okay, I'm a super so, defensive character. I, I, I hang back and I play the long game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. So for you, you would probably be like some sort of like Subaki or soul bad guy style charge character. Um, yeah, you'd probably be like a Subaki or like soul bad guy style charge character. You try and like bide time to like build meter or something like that. I know you, the problem here is you have no idea who I'm fucking talking about, do you? Yeah. Okay, I, I, I'm mostly counting on you to do the heavy lifting on this question. Okay, so if you want to be a slow dirt, I'm, because I'm a, you don't like keep away, but you like slowly dirtling around and building lots of meter and becoming unstoppable late. So what, why do you, what do you call it dirtle instead of turtling? Um, turtling specifically kind of has the specific notion of strong defense. Dirtling carry or not the notion, the implication of strong defense. Dirtling specifically refers or more specifically or at least implies running the clock to buy yourself time. Okay. All right. Um it's a very subtle and you can use them interchangeably in a lot of cases, but you can do that. Uh, there is kind of a little bit of a difference there. So yeah, I would say you're probably like I'd say you're probably like soul bad guy or like Sin Kyosuke would be like another. Basically, any character that has like a secondary meter mechanic, um, where they ben- where you get a benefit for sitting back. Hakan would. I- oh fuck, you'd be Hakan. Yeah, that's absolutely who you'd be. You'd be Hakan, like the weird okay. gimmicky goofy character who's a grappler who gets benefits when people don't interrupt him and he sits full screen because he can cover himself in oil and he gets more powerful when he does so. And the more you do it, the longer it charges. And then, like, if you can get, like, 15 seconds of oil, you're basically a fucking monster. Yeah, you'd be Hakan, straight up. Okay, you'd be exactly cool. Like that. Well, how about you? Oh, fuck. Um, I actually... Now, my guess, my guess yeah, from just having see, played games against you, you strike me as a Rushtown kind of guy. Actually not... Really? Typically. There are... The thing is, I actually like versatility. Um, So in the game, like... Okay. This is hard for me. This is simultaneously way harder and way easier because I have... I can just think of all the characters I really, really liked playing. But I have to, like, pick one. Um, 
for me, it would either be like a para- it would have to be something versatile, but not like a Shoto. Not like Ryu or Ken. I like versatile characters with some sort of unusual defining mechanic. So for me, it's kind of a toss-up between like Venom, Parasol, and Psyche. I feel um Psyche from KOF 13, Parasol from Skullgirls, and Venom from KOF. Yurian would be another. Um, I'd be a rel- so yeah, that would be my my fighting game persona. Uh, would be, like, a versatile character, would be, like, a relatively versatile character who can transition from zoning to rushdown reasonably well, that probably has some sort of weird defining gimmick. Like, Venom, well, Venom in Guilty Gear had, like, the weird fucking billiard ball mechanic where you can, like, knock billiard balls around the screen and, like, bank them off of walls and stuff like that. Parasol had, like, the traps you could, like, the flame traps you could set up. Um, Psyche, I guess, was less gimmicky. But he had teleports and a really powerful, like, life drain command grab. And so, you, so you teleport behind someone with your katana drawn? I don't have... No, that's Killer Instinct. Killer Instinct, you do that. Or alternatively, like, Marvel. Um, but yeah, probably I'd say, yeah, just some sort of, like... Or Yurian would the same way there. Um, yeah, that's okay. relatively do, all Do we want to take a stab at, at picking ones for the rest of the, uh, the AE crew? Um, sure. Okay. Let, let me um, think. What do we know about Luke? Luke, I, f- I feel like Luke is a keepaway character. Luke is a keepaway character. I feel that's reasonable. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any giant women keepaway characters. <laughs> no, no, no. He he isn't a giant woman. He just likes them. Yeah, but no, the, the thing. like fucking, so. Actually, if anything, you should be you should be thinking of who's a tiny dude. Who's, who's a keepaway tiny character. keepaway? Yeah. Let me think. I could actually see Luke as playing like a Hazama or like an Axel Rose style, like weird chain, like keepaway character. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I'm gonna go with like in terms of like playstyle, I'm gonna go with like Hazama. Okay. I think. Um, let's see. Zach. Zach's really into Mortal Kombat. Yes. Okay. Zach absolutely plays Rushdown. I know he plays Cammy in Street Fighter Five. Okay. That was the character he liked. He likes. I mean, MK, are, are we? Are, well, here's the thing. The question isn't like what do they like to play. The question is if they were a, were a character in a fighting game, who would they be? Oh, who would they be? Oh, if yeah. They were a character that, in a fighting. Oh, if I was a character in the fighting game, who would I be? I'd be fucking like I'd probably be Dan. I think all of us would be Dan. There you <laughs> all of us, go. Every single one. Yeah, just, everyone just a is collection Dan. of Dans. Yeah, and we're not talking like Street Fighter Four, like low mid tier, like actually an okay but not particularly great character. We're talking like Street Fighter Alpha Dan. We're talking booty butt cheeks, worst character in the fucking game by a mile, Dan. The deliberate joke character, Dan. Yes. Okay. I, yeah, I feel no, like that, that undermines makes... the spirit of the question, but sure. But, like, no, but the problem is that that's true. That's what it would be. We'd get our asses waxed, like, immediately. Like, come well, on like, now. This is, this is a theor- theoretically world in which we can fight because we are characters in a fighting game, and we're only fighting each other. Oh, okay. In that case, I'd be Venom. Okay. Definitely. In that case, I'm, it's definite. I'm, I'm sticking with your initial pick for me, the weird Yeah, no, you're guy. Hakan. Yeah. You're, um, you're Hakan. Okay, so, and who, who did you say Luke was? Luke, I think, would be, like, a, a weird, like, Hazama. I think it'd be like Hazama okay. or Axel Rose. All right. So what? Like what about Probably what about Zach? Asshole. You said he'd be he'd be kind of a rushdown kind of character. He'd be a rushdown oriented character. He wouldn't like. He doesn't like fighting very much. What's a rushdown oriented character who doesn't fighting? You see, those are hard to find. Because yeah. Typically aggressive characters enjoy. Zach, I think, might just like be straight up. Um, who would he be? Zach, I think, would be a Jago. Okay. Maybe not though. Hmm. All right. Um. I don't know. That one's tough. All right, so what, what about Joel? Joel? Uh, who's fucking obnoxious? Joel would be some sort of obnoxious to shit keep away character. <laughs> Deliberately contrarian at all, 
available points. Um, well, is, is there someone who oh, does a whole lot of like, countering? I know, what he, I know what he would be. He'd be fucking Bedman. Because he <laughs> doesn't... Sh- there's a character in Guilty Gear who's semi-comatose, at, who's comatose at almost all points in time, and he's attached to a giant mechanical bed, and he's called Bedman, and he has really weird, obnoxious, like, parry and zoning options and a bunch of bullshitty gimmicks, and he thinks he's way smarter than he actually is, and he never shuts the fuck up whenever he wakes up. Joel is Bedman. Moving okay. on. Uh, Simon is Zangief, because he's enormous. Like, that's all the justification I have or need. I, Simon is a I, fucking giant. I was about to say, enormous and heart of gold. Okay, works. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, there we go. Okay, um, Jules... Although, um, Geef is gay, though. How does, how, eh, eh, it doesn't... Well, it doesn't have to, we don't have to map one-to-one. We're just yeah, saying... Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's reasonable, then. Yeah, like Geef. Okay. Uh, Jules keeps sending us horny questions, so who's the horniest fighting game character? Oh, my God. Is it uh, Valentine? Yeah. <laughs> Who's Valentine? Uh, Valentine is way up there, and we're we're counting like actual real fighting games. We're not counting like bullshit even spinoffs. Valentine yeah, well, of is okay. Valentine is way up there. Um, Laura's relatively high up there, but she's not. She's not top. Um, let me. No, it's not Valentine. Let me. Let me stop and think. I had it on the tip of my tongue. It, it's actually probably Raven. It, okay. Raven's way up there. All Raven right. is a character from Guild. Oh, it could also be fucking. It's either Raven. Or, these are Guilty Gear characters, it's either Raven, or it's, what the fuck is her name, it's not Ava, oh my, it's uh, Eno, Eno from Guilty Gear, she literally takes her fucking top off and gets her tits out in one of her win uh, victory poses. Okay. Yeah, so um, it's either one of those, I think. Okay, so Molly, is there any, are there any characters that, like, literally, like, mind control their opponents? Not in, like, I don't think so. Anybody that, that forces their opponent to do something? Um... Not forces, but, like, I'm trying to think. There's probably a character that can lock out buttons and options. K.I. has a sort of pseudo-version of that in Cinder, but I don't feel like Molly's a Cinder. Okay. Um, Cinder can set your limbs on fire, and whether he sets your arms or your legs on fire, you will burn if you hit those buttons, and it prevents doing that. Um... I mean, Molly again, it doesn't, have, be, it doesn't have to map the personality-wise. We're just looking for play style. Molly would be some sort of, like, really oppressive, like, lockdown-style character. Like, something like a, uh... It's not an Elfelt. What the fuck is it? Something like a Ramathel, or like an Eddie, or like a Carl, or like a, uh... Or like a Debo. Something where if you get in the corner... Oh, my God, I know what it is. Um, Molly's fucking Melia. Yeah, because if you get knocked down and you get sucked into the vortex, you're fucked. You're getting domed to shit. There we go. Okay. There. Uh, which, I, which guess, I guess if we're going. I guess if we're going. Um, Milia is a blonde-haired character from Guilty. I don't know why Guilty's on the mind. There are probably better analogs, but I'm tired, so I'll leave me. Yeah, sure. Hey, nothing wrong with like Guilty Gear. Okay. Uh, Ashley. I don't know Ashley that well. You're gonna have to. Okay. Uh, she's super gay. Like super gay. Like just the gayest. Super gay. Yeah. Also, she's very punk rock. Punk rock and gay. Uh, she's into. Yeah, she's also into wrestling. Punk rock, gay, and into wrestling. Yeah. Let me think. Um, Eno is two of those. She's got the rock motif, and she's got the gay. Or at least I think she's gay. I don't think they ever addressed that, but I'm assuming she's bi. Um, but she def- doesn't have the wrestling. I feel like this is a case where we might have to go. You know, um, might be. No, I don't think it's Valentine. Um. Okay, okay, so it's either going to be Eno, or it's going to be Sarabella. 
Oh, and the reason Sarah Bella, that, Sarah Bella seems like the right call. Yeah, and that depends on whether wrestling or punk rock is the more important motif yet here. If it's wrestling, it's Sarah Bella. If it's punk rock, it's Eno. I think okay. Sarah Bella is probably a better call, though. I'm going to go with Sarah Bella. Okay. I, and uh, I don't know how well you know the rest of the crew. Um, do we want Do we want to try for Eric? Um, I know Eric likes Mech Warrior, and if I recall, he liked versatile stuff. So Eric is full gore. Mm. I almost said Big Band. Big Band would work as well. I uh, yeah, Eric is either full gore or Big Band. Okay. Um, Man, let's Big see. Band's character design is so fucking sweet. Love that character. Yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's it for people in the group that I know super well. Okay. And I, feel, I feel bad for not doing everybody, but I mean, I know, I know some people in the network better than others. Wait, hmm? we haven't done Jules. I thought we did Jules. Did we do Jules? Yeah, we decided she would be the horniest character because she's always sending us these questions about fucking. Oh yeah, okay. I think we decided on Eno or Raven. Yeah, yeah. One okay. of those. We wound yeah. up with Eno a lot, apparently. Whoever Eno is. Uh, Eno is a Guilty Gear character. Is punk rock lady. I don't actually know that much about her story wise. I can only infer what I seen from Victory at like the end game screens. But she's fucking punk rock bad bitch who didn't give a fuck. Okay, cool. And she's um, really has really weird mobility options that are strong, and she's good. Okay, uh, this is going to be really awkward if any of them hear this and are like, "Man, that's a really bad choice you made for me." What the fuck? Yeah, no. Trust me, I'm not good at making these sorts of choices. If you think I got, I was totally off base. I apologize in advance because, like, I probably was. I'm not okay. good at comparing. In fairness's name, I'm just gonna I'm gonna give myself the this question sucks uh, defense right now. And say it was a bad question, and just preemptively. I mean, it probably would have been fine if we'd have stopped it ourselves, but we, we went for the parentheses. We went for the bonus points. Yeah, we'll probably we flew too close to the that. sun. Probably wind up regretting that. Okay. Fuck. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so back to the other questions because we actually still have a few of them. Uh, Emily asks, "What are your what What are your good fighting game crushes?" And there's some there's some follow up comments to this. Uh, Jules responded with, "Who's the hottest, and why is it Chun Li?" It's uh, not Chun. Chun's not even like the best looking character in Street Fighter. Like, what the fuck? Well, and then Emily responds with, she's definitely up there, but I love Armika to say too much for certain. Uh, and then Emily also further says, also Laura oh from Five. Oh my god, Ashley's Armika. How the fuck did I not think of that immediately? I don't know. How did you not think of that immediately? I have no idea. It's fucking Armika. Like, three. Um, Emily okay. brings up Laura from Five. Um, and then Joel comes in and says... I guess this is a response to the Chun-Li response. He says, hotness is proportional to thigh mass, which kind of. Sort of. Yeah. I mean, it's not directly proportional, like 1-1, one, one, but like good thighs? Hell yeah. Yeah. However. So, so what's, a, what's your fighting game crush? Fighting game crush. Um, I'm trying to think. There's got to be at least one fighting character on the track. Uh, what about Hot Ryu? No. Whatever they actually call him. I mean, he's an attractive dude, but nah. I mean, that's my call. I mean, it's not a bad choice. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. Am I sexually attracted to any fighting game character? I feel like they're. Oh my god, Molly is fucking Ivy. How the fuck did that not pop into my head? Like Ivy Soul Caliber. Okay. The chick oh! with the huge titties. Who oh literally god, a fucking you're dog. right. Yeah, yeah, that's Molly. Okay, what the? Fu- How did that not occur? Like instantly. Like, what the well, fuck? Well, there are a lot oh. of fighting games. And oh, my God. That our brain, Jules... We don't think of all of them. Yeah, you know? that's, that answers Jules' question as well. It's fucking... It's Ivy. She's literally a dom. That's canon. 
Yeah. She's an actual honest-to-God dominatrix and also a highly skilled alchemist. <laughs> that, yep, that works. She also has huge tits and wears actual S&M gear like it's fucking Ivy by a mile. Goddamn, fuck Raven. Fuck, you know, amateur hour. Um, What the hell was this question again? Um, uh, Crushes. What video game character you had a crush on? Um, I'm trying to think. Can I go a little bit off the wall again? Yeah, sure, go. Uh, go Princess Peach. Okay. I mean, yeah. if you count Smash Bros. I, yeah, I mean, no and strong... I, I do, kind of. I've got no I mean, I, I think Daisy's better, but she's not in the game. I've got no strong thoughts one way or another. Um, I, I think I'm actually going to go with Venom. Venom? It's not really a crush. It's just like, dude, Venom's fucking cool. It's Venom or it's Slayer. One of those two. And it's not really a sexy thing. It's like, they're just... Those two characters are just fucking cool. I love their designs. And they're, look at something and you know that's cool. Those mm-hmm. two characters are cool. Okay. Uh, so Joel asks, he's combining all of the above questions. If you create a visual novel dating sim of the audio entropy crew, who will your crutches be? Um, <laughs> I'm not answering this. Fuck off. <laughs> Aw, I'm, I'm, I'm a little hurt because I was going to say it was you. Aw, bro. Why the fuck would you do that? That's stupid. You can do better. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I can't. Um, uh, yeah, you can. So, uh, okay. So that's all the Facebook responses. Okay. Um, let's go with... Uh, Let's go with a. Uh, this one's from Luke. Uh, he says, "Why is Mike such a fucker when it comes to Puzzle Strike?" Because he keeps dumpstering you. Get yeah. Wrecked, so, Rob. so a quick, uh, a quick bit of explanation. Luke was the one who actually taught me how to play Puzzle Strike, and as soon as he started teaching me how to play, I beat him like seven or eight times in a row, like immediately, and he got really mad about it. But the thing is, apparently, this happens with everybody who first starts playing against him. They just start beating him a whole lot because, like. Of our group, he's probably the person who got the most into the game, but he's not very good at it. So Is he not very good at it, or like does he tend to play diverse characters? I actually haven't played against Luke. And Luke like and I'm, you know what? I'll actually I'll actually step up for my boy speed here. Luke is a person who knows stuff about games. Like, the guy's the guy knows what he's talking about, and I know for a fact that his grasp on game theory and, like, his understanding of how to win is relatively solid. I was actually surprised when you started beating him consistently. I mean, it, it was it was almost Although legendary the way I just sort of luck slammed, like, just fell ass backwards into just beating him a bunch of times in a row. Yeah, it but was- did you- I don't feel like you'd luck sack that. I mean, luck sacking obviously involves just falling axe backwards in the winning, but I feel like he'd at least get, like, semi-consistent. With uh, not at first. I mean, eventually. eventually like that, but, if, yeah. Eventually, we started have, having more even exchanges. But yeah, like, when I was first learning. And it's not... I, I'm pretty sure he wasn't actually going easy on me after, like, the first time. Yeah. Because I, I kept winning, so... Okay, yeah. uh... This one is from Garrett on Twitter. Uh, what puzzle game do you keep playing for way too long? Dr. Robotics Mean Bean Machine, yo. There's an answer to this question. What the hell is it? Um, Way too long. Yeah, what puzzle game do you just start playing and you just, you don't stop? Oh, man. Um, I once played uh, Columns on the Sega Genesis for, like, I think, like, three hours. And I only stopped, like, I I only stopped because I realized it was taking way too long. I had to pee. I was just like, you know what? I have to do other things with my life, and I'm just too good at this game. I'm not dying. I I'm have just, to intentionally die so I can escape this hell. I'm just so good at. I'm just so good at. It. I think it's for me. It's actually probably just Tetris. Tetris it's is a just, good good just choice. Go with the classic. Yeah. Oh man, you know it's you know it's a really underrated game. What's that? Fucking Tetris Plus. I haven't played it. 
it's it's really it's kind of hard to find. It's like an obscure like PlayStation One title published by fucking Jalico, who I think is bankrupt. I don't know, but like you basically like there's a professor dude on the Tetris board, and you have to try and safely get him to the bottom by clearing lines. It's it's fucking weird, but it's great. Huh? Sounds interesting. Yeah, I'll... Tetris Plus. If you if you can find it, like fucking yeah, it's good shit. Um, good deal. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, this one is from Ricetex. Uh, he says, Serlin's games tend to take a video game genre and emulate it in a tabletop format. What genre would you like to see adapted in that way? This was actually a really... This one was tough for me. I, I think... Fuck, I'm still not quite sure. I, I think, like, shooters would probably be the most natural one, though. Shooters, okay. I think, would lend themselves... Maybe... Well, hmm. Yeah, this is tough for me because, like... Until I see the end result, I don't really know, but you obviously can't see the end result, so... Yeah. Meh. I'm gonna go with shooters, though. I think, like, I think like a game like a platformer would be too difficult, or would be too... Yeah, see, I was actually about to say a 2D platformer. You have, But, like, how would you do that, though? Like, a shooter, would, you've got enough to work with, I feel, to make, like, I've, a game I've, like that. I feel like maybe, like, power-ups and stuff would be, like, a resource management thing, and, like, maybe you have to manage, like, how much you're, run, you, you're using your run button... And how much you're jumping or double jumping, maybe. And maybe, like, you don't know what's coming because, like, maybe there's, like, a deck of, like, terrain that you draw from and build, like, the level in front of you as you go. So there's there's some risk to it. Hmm. Um, but, I mean, it, again, I'm not a fucking game designer, but, yeah, I'd like to see a 2D platformer. Yeah, I think with me, it'd just be, like, a first-person shooter. And uh, apologies if these games have already been adapted. I'm just not aware of them. Oh, yeah. I'm, just, I'm Probably someone's done these. Yeah. Um, okay, so this one is from Molly, um, who we figured out is Ivy, I guess. Um, have you all played the Cryptozoic series of DC Comics deck-building games? I have not. Neither have I. Sorry. Yeah. Kind of an anticlimactic, uh, lackluster I mean, answer, but I'm, I just, I've, heard, I've, I've heard good things about it. Never yeah, touched Sam. it, though. Sam. Um, okay, and these last two questions are from Dory Mingu, which I believe is Jordan from the group, uh, from, from our network. Uh, have you ever played Red Dragon Inn? I have. I have too. It's pretty it, good. I, I think it's okay. It's a casual party game, but it's good for what it is. 7 yeah. out of 10, no strong feelings. Yeah, I guess, I guess we should kind of explain to the listeners who don't know what it is. Um, Red Dragon Inn is essentially, it's a game where two to four people, ideally the full four, yeah. uh, role play as a party, like a D&D style party, who has just finished a quest and has gone to a pub to drink and celebrate. Um, and the basic gist of the game is you have, uh, basically you're going to drink and spend money. And basically it's a game where like, if you either pass out from being drunk or run out of money, you are eliminated and the last one standing wins. Um, the neat way that they simulate drunkenness is effectively you have, you have a, a health bar that runs like one to 20 and with, uh, with a token on the bottom end and a token on the top end. And, like, as you get in, like, bar fights and stuff or get poisoned or whatever, your health runs down. And as you get drunk, your, like, drunkenness goes up. And if at any point the two tokens meet, you pass out. And, uh, which I think is a neat mechanic and a neat way to simulate that. And basically you just, you buy each other drinks, you try and drink each other under the table, you gamble, uh, you cheat at gambling. Um, Because it's a fantasy setting, you, like, you know, you cast spells and shit sometimes just to be a dick. Um, There's a thing where, like... There, there are multiple expansions of it, but much like we were talking about earlier with some of the Serlin games, each expansion is itself a standalone version of the game. 
Yeah, and unlike Serlin's games or some of those others, this is a v- designed to be played casually. This is this is a party yeah. game. Yeah, it's 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 a party game, but you can also like mix and match the different versions, so you can like play as the different characters, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And actually, new versions of it have been steadily coming out. There are currently uh, six versions of it. I don't know if the sixth one's actually out yet, but it was successfully kickstarted. I want to say last November. I want to say. Uh, which is which is kind of a thing that I don't think a lot of people realize is that I uh, people have become a bit wary of crowdfunding in the video game space, um, but it is still alive and kicking and well in the board game space. So yeah, um, and the sorry, go ahead. Oh, nothing. I was just, I I was just we're we're good. We're good. Okay, okay. And then the last question, also from Jordan, says: Speaking of card games, did you see Harmonix's drop mix? I did. That game looks bizarre as fuck. I don't know that much about it other than the fact that it's kind of crazy and I want to see more. I don't know if it'll be any good, but it's definitely super interesting. Yeah. All I know about it is like playing it involves remixing like licensed music and one of the cards is the Disturbed Wild card. And as you'd expect, like if someone plays that card, it goes, ooh, ah, 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 you know, like that whole thing. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't do it. That the, the fucking grunt, you know, you know what it is. The, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, ooh, everybody. Ah, ah, yeah, everybody one. knows what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's it looks real fucking stupid, but also possibly really cool. Yeah, it looks. Um, uh, I yeah, I have no idea if that game's gonna be any good, but I'm fascinated by it and I want to see more. Okay, um, I I think that's gonna be it. Do you have anything you want to add? No, uh, other than the fact that this was a fucking long one. Not really. Yeah, but I mean, thanks, it's, Yeah, thank you. Um, thanks, Obama. Um, so uh, a couple things I want to plug before we get rolling. Uh, I want to plug my personal Twitter at Mike Loves Rabbit. Uh, just check that out if you want to see retweets of shit posts and occasionally pictures of rabbits. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter for the for this podcast at G Shaped. That is at G S H A P E D on Twitter. Send us questions. Uh, we'll tell you about future topics we're recording. Uh, you can suggest topics. You can ask us questions that have to do with those topics or just anything at all. You can just send questions. That's fine. Send hate mail. Yeah, fuck it. Who cares? Um, Also, this is kind of something I just want to plug because it is relevant to the discussion we just had. Uh, There is a podcast I love uh, called Flip the Table. Yeah. uh, And it is about dudes who play bad board games uh, and review them. It is a comedy podcast. It's a lot of fun. And it is actually coming to an end later this year. Oh, is it? Yeah. They said that their last episode is going to be, I believe, in late July. Oh, no. Yeah, like, three of the four panelists um, are new dads, and just oh, they're wow. having a harder time balancing their family life and, and the you know, doing a dumb fucking podcast. So, you know, this is, so that's wrapping up. They're, they've, they've just started what they're calling their final season. And, um, yeah, and I just want to, you know, let everybody know that, like, hey, if you, if you like the idea of listening to funny people talk about board games and uh, you were disappointed by the fact that you didn't get that here... Um, Maybe, you know, check out Flip the Table. It's really good. I love it. It's straight up one of my favorite podcasts that, you know, that has nothing to do with our network. So this isn't a paid promotion. It's just, it's not a, it's not a plug. I like, they don't know me. I don't know them. It's just something I really like. And I really want to get the word out that like, hey, this thing is ending soon. Give it a listen while you can. So check out Flip the Table. Um, and I think, I think that's going to about do it. Um, if you want to hear more episodes of this or any other podcast on the network, check out audioentropy.com. Anything else you want to add? No, I am good, and I'm tired as hell, so let's put a bow on this one. All right, I'll take us home. So, for Going Pear-Shaped, 
I have been Mike. And I've been Matt. And always remember, diddle yourself constantly. <laughs> <laughs>